Welcome to The Gansier Show. I'm your host, Jeremy Gansier. Today I sit down with Brian Mulder, a therapist at the Fountain Hill Center in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Brian currently works with individuals, groups, and couples. During our conversation, the Canadian native talks about moving to a new country, changing schools, and trying to find a place he felt comfortable. Brian fell in love with music back then and has produced a series of interesting albums, each signifying the end of one chapter and the beginning of a new one. After about 10 years in churches, schools, and community organizations in Highland, Michigan, he knew it was time to pursue a new direction. He went all in on creative projects, touring the world with his music, starting a woodworking business, and even running a barber night in his own home. In this episode, Brian shares his thoughts about paying attention to yourself and knowing when to quit. Here's Brian. What's going on, man? Jeremy, hello. So good to see you. Good to see you too. From what I remember, you were born in Canada. And can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like and then kind of moving to the U.S., what that adjustment was like? Yeah, um, I was born in Kingston, Ontario which is like close to Toronto-ish. I, I usually just tell Americans Toronto because Americans don't know Canadian geography very well. <laughs> um, but I, I grew up mostly in a little town called Wyoming, Ontario, um, which is not far from the border, uh, like by Port Huron, um, across from the borders, uh, Sarnia, Ontario, and then Wyoming is like a tiny little town of 2000 people. So I spent most of my childhood there and then I moved to Michigan. I was just before, it was just before high school. So I was like, I guess 14-ish, 14, 15. I forget how old you are in eighth grade, but halfway through eighth grade moved, um, my whole family uh, moved, just kind of had to do with my dad's job. He's a pilot. And uh, so I started over halfway through eighth grade and then went to a small private school in Midland and switched to a big public school, 10th grade. Um, so I did lots of switching, lots of starting over. Uh, I went from a, the school that I started at was like 10 kids in my class. And then I went to Midland high, which was four, four, 500. <laughs> it was a, yeah. a big switch. Yeah. I'm still a Canadian citizen, but someday I might become a dual citizen. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that you made the switch that late, late in your high school career. You know, I obviously met you on the JV basketball team. And, uh, but I didn't realize that must have been your first year, maybe, or first or second year that I met you. Yeah, well, I had two years on the JV team. So <laughs> I did too. I did too. <laughs> That's a huge accomplishment. I, I make sure I mention that in every interview. <laughs> Good. I was so good. They kept me around for second year. They kept right. us around for second year. Leadership. Yeah. They yeah. needed our leadership. And our, and our yeah, that, that transition was, I think, bigger than moving countries. I mean, it was a big deal switching in eighth grade and I had gone to the same school up until then. And so that was, that was a big shift switching countries, but then switching from a small private school to a big old public school. And I didn't, I knew one person. Um, so it was, it was terrifying at the time. Yeah, it was, I bet. It was, it was tough. Yeah. And how would you like describe yourself like in high school? Like, obviously, a lot of people change, like they're not the same person they were in high school that they are as an mm -hmm. adult. Like what, 
do you remember kind of what you were like back then? Yeah, kind of. I remember feeling perpetually uncomfortable in high school, especially switching schools and being the new kid. I just remember feeling uncomfortable in my body. And I remember the feeling of like walking into the cafeteria and just like, I do not want to be here. Everyone's looking at me and I would eat my lunch as quick as I could. And I would just walk the hallways to pass the time. Mm -hmm. And I just remember this, this feeling just like, ah, get me out of here. And I remember always having a cold, just like when I think of high school, I think of like blowing my nose into those scratchy, uncomfortable brown paper towels in the bathroom. That's what high school felt like to me, just like stiff and uncomfortable. And I had friends outside of school, my like youth group buddies, just a little small crew of misfits. And I felt really comfortable with them, but I never felt like I uh, got too comfortable in high school. Um, So I played sports all the way through, played basketball and soccer, but um, I kind of got through high school. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, in high school, is that when you discovered music or is that a little bit later on? Um, Yeah, I started playing early high school. I'd always wanted to learn the guitar. Um, So I think it was like freshman, sophomore year. I picked up a guitar and I kind of fell in love with it. So I started out just like leading songs for our church youth group and being terrible and people being very gracious with me. But I just... Once I picked up the guitar, I fell in love with it. I played, I played every day, uh, played till my fingers bled. I think literally I think <laughs> when you start now with the acoustic guitar, it's pretty rough on the fingertips. Um, but yeah, I started that in high school. I started writing, uh, kind of in high school. Uh, I, I made an album at the end of high school called insightful thoughts about the universe which was an instrumental album that <laughs> I thought I thought was pretty funny at the time. That's, that's hilarious. So you, that was when you recorded your first album was back in high school. Yeah. On like wow. one little computer microphone uh, with a free program. Nice. <laughs> nice. And you've got a few albums since then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I lost track probably five or six or seven or something like that. So since that time, it kind of became a way to mark significant stages. So I remember I like recorded some at the end of high school. I worked on stuff through college and my senior year of college, I released an album and it was small. I just kind of burned copies and gave it to my friends. And then after my first stint um, after school, I did a bunch of things. I was a teacher and I was a youth pastor. I worked at churches doing kind of community youth work. At the end of a stint there, I made an album. And so it kind of became a way to mark time for me, hmm. like, a, like a journal of sorts. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And did, did you ever imagine when you first started picking up the guitar and playing that you would tour across the country? And then you even played shows across the world, if I remember correctly. I don't no, I don't think Not across I considered... The world. No, uh, no, yeah, oh, I have. Okay. Yes, I was saying at the time I didn't. Oh, I don't, I'm sure I had dreams of of playing music in front of people or something, but uh, definitely didn't. That wasn't an ambition at the time. Um, but yeah, I've, I've started playing out. I mean, all through college, I played 
uh, I played church music. <laughs> so I like played in front of people and I love that. I like singing together is a beautiful thing. Um, and I was always pretty uncomfortable playing my own stuff and uh, did a little bit more and more. And I would play like once a year. And then back, it was, it's hard. Timeline is tricky. I don't want to jump around too much. <laughs> uh, after I, so I did like 10 years of working at nonprofits and working with kids in the community, mostly at churches. And then um, 2013, when I turned 30, I, I kind of, I left that world, kind of retired early, yeah. retired at 30. And I had always dreamed of making like a real album. And I had made a bunch of albums and, and I would like play out once a year or something, but I, I, I wanted to make a legit studio album. So I did a Kickstarter. I raised 16,000 bucks for it and made this album. I was really proud of it's called yeah. Holotropic. And then we ended up doing a tour um, with four of my friends. There's five of us. And we did a, a European house show tour. Um, it was like around two weeks long, seven different countries, just playing in living rooms and apartments and condos and community centers. And, and it was wonderful <laughs> and terrifying. <laughs> I loved your house shows. I saw one locally and I just thought that was such a great great concept and you know I feel like more and more people I think I think especially since the pandemic people you know that was kind of a popular thing like backyard shows you know mm -hmm. that you you know you could do and but that's just such a neat like intimate experience where you like you feel really connected to the to the music and what a cool <laughs> cool idea it's it's wonderful yeah because I'm not uh with music I I love music I can't not make music I don't think uh, I'll ever be a musician as my, as my career, as the main thing that I do. So I don't have much ambition about doing like playing big shows. I wouldn't want to, but I love the living room setting because you actually connect with people and it's an interaction. It's uh, yeah. I love the intimacy of it. Um, and I love, cause I look at it as a, just a way to connect. Um, so yeah, we did that Europe tour. And then uh, the following year, later in the year, we did a, a U.S. living room show tour as well with a couple of friends. Um, and it was with another music or two other musicians, a violinist and a guitarist, a filmmaker who recorded everything. And then um, an author friend, his name is Tyler Dunning, and he would read short stories. And it was kind of a multimedia uh, event. It was really cool okay that's the tour that i must have seen that because i remember those individuals okay must we had a show in, in grand rapids i think it was in holland okay. uh, it was at the via yeah, house on 24th street somewhere near like holland middle school elementary school i just remember going to a show and yeah it was a real small one but it was awesome so cool maybe it was not even part of that tour but i remember there was a couple other people and it's a neat neat experience now like as far as the shows that you played are there like any that really stick out that were like hey this was like a really cool venue and just the show really went well and kind of a, mm -hmm. a top top show that you've played yeah uh, lots of memorable shows many of them because because they were dreadful and embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> like I put in my time of like 
embarrassment, I think is a big part of touring, putting yourself out there, making stuff. It's like embarrassment is just part of it. <laughs> I've played yep. plenty of embarrassing shows where it's like, we have a big setup and we got microphones and big speakers and then two people come <laughs> and it feels uncomfortable singing into a microphone to one or two people. <laughs> but, but I think a good show is I think the, that tour that I mentioned uh, in Europe, which it was called the, the early magic mystery tour, <laughs> something like that. Uh, it was related to inspired by many things that was with an artist friend who goes by Tom him. Um, and so we flew to Paris and we moved real quick. We'd like went country to country. It was just a whirlwind. And one of our first shows was in Zurich, Switzerland. And we were playing at the home of a woman who my friend had sat next to on an airplane like five years prior. He was, I don't remember all the details. He was like flying somewhere to South America, I believe. I don't know if it was Peru. I don't remember where it was, but he sat beside this woman on the airplane. They became friends. She was from Switzerland. Uh, she was, I think, is a psychologist in Switzerland. And we ended up playing at her apartment house and she invited all of her friends. So it was a group of like young Swiss doctors and psychologists. And we were just this, <laughs> we had just been traveling for a couple of days hadn't showered. We were all like interestingly employed <laughs> doing music and trying to write. And um, it was intimidating. I remember just like, oh, what is this going to be? Um, and it was just magical. Uh, kind of had that just nervous excitement energy before we started, which can sometimes be really valuable. And mm -hmm. we played and they just loved it. And it was just such a unique night, uh, just world, different worlds colliding. And they were so supportive. And on that tour, we would just have a tip jar so we could make it to the next place. <laughs> it mostly like paid for our travel and plane tickets. And, uh, and they, I remember, gave so generously. And it was incredible. It was just a really magical night in Zurich, Switzerland. <laughs> so cool. And what a, what a great, like, yeah way that it it happened you know five years earlier a friend striking up a conversation you just never know what can happen with those kind of conversations uh-huh so that's pretty sweet and you've hinted on your already talked about started talking about your traveling what what would you say I know you've done traveling kind of all over the world and done some really cool backpacking and pilgrimage stuff what would you say is like really got you hooked on traveling what mm. what do you think like really um keeps bringing you back to it and and how have you been able to like make that happen because some people you know will make the excuse of like hey got to have a ton of money to travel and all this time or you know whatever but you've been able to accomplish it in a variety of different ways so do you have any many thoughts any thoughts on that yeah i think i just if you're able to travel i just think it's so wonderful and acknowledging i'm like yeah not everyone can do that i feel so grateful that i've been able to i think of uh i won't get the quote correct but it's a mark twain quote and he the quote says something about travel is fatal to bigotry ignorance and small-mindedness mm. just the idea of when you go to some other place and experience uh, a culture not your own 
and you see like people living well with a different set of assumptions, it allows you to see where you're coming from. So I just, I, my first travels were like went to Honduras in high school and then I lived in Honduras for most of the summer in college. Um, and then a lot of like, a lot of kind of church related chip, trips at first. Um, and then I went to China and Israel um, early in my career doing youth work. And um, I've also, I love, you mentioned pilgrimaging, which I love that word and that idea. Um, started my first big trip like that was a cross country bicycle trip back in 2010 or something. And we biked from coast to coast with a group of like 20 people. It was a fundraising event. So it was like two months. Um, and I just fell in love with traveling like that. And that kind of traveling is also not as expensive because we're camping out, we're staying in people's basements, um, uh, sleeping in with my sleeping pad, sleeping bag. Um, but yeah, the idea of pilgrimage is really important to me. Um, and after that trip, I kind of made it a goal to try to every year do some sort of pilgrimage-like trip. Um, a couple other favorites were like hiking the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which is a pilgrimage route that people have been doing for thousands of years. Um, that was 600 miles walking, walked for a month and a bit, went there with a couple of friends and met people from all over the world. Um, did a walk across Michigan a couple summers ago, um, started in Port Huron and walked to Holland on the other side of the state and people joined me throughout and just, um, it's been really valuable for me to intentionally do something difficult and simplify my life and realize, oh, I'm not only can I survive with like just wearing a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and having a backpack, but like I'm happier than usual. Mm. And it's just a great reminder of getting back to basics of, I don't know, just also the feeling of accomplishment. Like, oh yeah, I can do hard stuff. I just force myself and say, all right, I'm, I'm getting dropped off in Port Huron. I, I gotta keep walking home. There's no <laughs> other options. <laughs> kind of helps me just fight the apathy that I'm very prone to day to day. Mm. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize, I knew you'd done some pilgrimages, but not, I didn't realize that you'd done that, done that many. So that's really, really fascinating. And uh, wow. So cool. Very creative. And um, another adventure that I remember that you did was uh, that like somehow you got on a railroad for a few weeks, <laughs> yeah. like a, a Amtrak was yeah. it? Yeah. Can you talk was... about that experience too, just briefly. I thought that was really yeah. cool. That was right after the, uh, the walk in Spain, the Camino de Santiago. And mm -hmm. I think I was just in the adventurous mindset. And I was like, Oh, I can, I just try things. And I, um, there's somebody that I, I think followed on Instagram that mentioned this trip and it was a cross country train trip with Amtrak. That was a artist residency slash traveling conference <laughs> slash advertising it was a group of mostly photographers filmmakers kind of like young young creatives and i was like i don't really take pictures but 
I like creativity and I play music. So I, I just applied thinking like, oh, they're probably going to get thousands of applications, but what does it hurt? And, and then I ended up getting accepted and did this two, three week long. I don't know. I think it was like two or three weeks. And we started in DC and went to uh, San Francisco and wow. there were guest speakers on, on the train and talking about what they do in photography and film and writing. So it was with this really neat crew of people from all over the country, all over the world. There's folks from, from England and um, yeah, it was, it was quite the experience. I felt very out of place and kind of enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Going back to being, you know, sometimes you got to, you got to do hard things or be uncomfortable and mm -hmm. how do you uh, navigate that? And that's really cool. It goes along with that. Going back to you had uh, mentioned making that kind of big career change after kind of being in ministry and schools and nonprofits. What was what were you kind of thinking when you turned thirty? What was kind of the what was going on where you made kind of that was obviously a big move. Mm -hmm. But what what sparked that? Yeah. Well, I had kind of a. I had experiences before that, even I, after my first like four-ish years of doing youth work, I quit and had a, a year of traveling. I lived in Europe and volunteered and wandered for most of the summer. Um, started, it's also when I picked up woodworking stuff and did the bike trip. So I had this kind of year of just kind of stepping back and saying, all right, where am I going? Um, so it, I guess I already had that as just kind of a value of thinking, no, there's a good time to quit. Quitting, knowing when to quit is a really important skill. Um, Cause that year I didn't regret that at all. And I came back and ended up doing kind of similar work with, with students in the community. And I could just feel like, all right, it's, it's time. I, I loved working at churches, but I also felt like, oh, this isn't, this isn't where I see myself. I, uh, felt a little paralyzed from having my own journey after just being in leadership. And I wanted to have my own, I wanted to ask questions and I didn't want to have a narrow range of questions I could ask. Uh, so I, I just recognized, oh, I need the freedom to be a person to explore. I had, my twenties were spent. I had a weird early bit of my career. I kind of lived like a monk, uh, you know, <laughs> I like, I didn't really date and I hung out with students all day. And, um, and I just had this feeling of like, I need to have my own journey. Who, who am I? Who am I as a person? Uh, I need to just go wander and I could just feel it. And you know, like, yep. All right. It's time. I gotta get out of here. Uh, part of it too is like, uh, I gotta, I gotta quit my church work before I get fired from my church work. <laughs> <laughs> it's partially just kind of shifts in worldviews and needing needing the freedom to explore i think mm -hmm. yeah and that's awesome and you that you were able to recognize that and then you you took that time and you did the the music and the woodworking and you did some barber work you did a great job <laughs> cutting my hair for uh those were some really cool nights that you pulled together bringing people together barber barber nights and that was just really innovative. I just remember telling people like, yeah, I'm going to, one of my buddies cuts hair and he has other people coming over and there's music and it's just really fun. <laughs> yeah. Like where is a special that? season? 
that that first I kind of think of those first like five years after I quit and I um, bought a small house downtown Holland. The basement was the woodwork studio. And I had another studio upstairs. I did a lot of music stuff and I bought a barber chair on Craigslist. So I think it was like Wednesday nights called them buzzed cuts. Yeah. Because uh, I'll get a little buzzed. <laughs> I do haircuts <laughs> throughout the night. But yeah, it was just this fun season of trying to figure out new ways of getting people together. Uh, and I love those nights. I don't know if you were there at nights when there's a bunch of people gathered and hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. were fun. They were. Yeah. It was, it was pretty neat to, to just see all those people gathered and, you know, there was a waiting room and there was records playing and guitars and that was, it was, it was really cool. Neat way to connect with people. And so kind of after that, that time frame, then you started, you went back to, uh, to school to get like additional training towards uh, like therapy. Is that? Yeah. Yep. So I had started the whole time I was doing youth work. I was also taking classes um, at a seminary actually. And I was considering there's a dual track. It was a master's of divinity and master's of social work. Mm. So I was, I've been interested in counseling for 15, 20 years or something long, we'll say 15 years. Um, even in college or just after college, I remember reading a book. It was The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, who was a psychologist. And I remember something in that just uh, really resonated with me. And that's the part of doing youth work that I loved. I loved just sitting with people, having a conversation, just talking about difficult things with people. Mm. So I was like, was on this kind of meandering path towards counseling. And then after that season of, it was like five-ish, five or six years after I quit everything and it was kind of just letting the dust settle. And I traveled and I just explored all these different ideas and did woodwork and music and loved it. Realized it's hard to make a living or it was pretty hard for me. I, I scraped by, by choice. I had infinite safety nets. Um, so I recognized that like, great privilege it is to be able to do that, to just quit and try something out. I had so many safety nets and so much support and it was wonderful. Then after that season of kind of just letting the dust settle, um, I could feel like, all right, I think it's time to step into something a little bit more sustainable. Um, and one of the ways I found clarity with that is I did this thing called um, the Clearness Committee, which is a Quaker tradition. And the idea is you gather a group of friends. I had seven friends that I gathered together. And the premise is it's for people seeking clarity on something, on a decision, on a question. Um, and it's question-based. So the friends that gather just ask questions. What are you thinking? What do you want? They're not leading questions. And so we did that. It was like three hours. Wow. <laughs> and, and that experience of just, again, it's wonderful that these friends would give three hours just to like be with me and my questions and my <laughs> seeking of clarity. And that kind of planted the seed of like, okay, I think, I think maybe it's time to go back and get some training. Uh, Cause I had done kind of informal therapeutic work. I love being with people, even the haircutting thing. Yeah. One of the things why I love cutting hair is it's a 30 to 50 minute 
conversation. Also, it's slow. I'm the slowest barber around. <laughs> uh, but you'd, it's kind of the sacred space of uh, people just get to talk and there's a lot of trust. So I, I knew like, ah, that's, that's what I love. And even looking back at the kind of thread that weaves through making music and doing woodwork and working with students is wanting to be with people, finding ways to connect with people. So it just felt like, yeah, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to go back to school. So I went back and did a master's in counseling, mm. um, which is a three-year program. So went back in, I don't know, 2018, I think it was, and started that program. Very cool. And I remember running into you kind of around town in Holland and you had maybe just started that. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's a new, a new path. And then I saw that you had just wrapped up and you started, you just accepted a new job this summer. Is that correct? Yeah. So yeah, I finished school um, just in May. I'd done an internship all last year um, at a place called the Fountain Hill Center in town here in Grand Rapids, um, not far from downtown. And I love that experience. And it just, the timing was really good that there was a, a spot for me there. And so I got a job at the place that did my internship, Fountain Hill Center, and started just uh, beginning of the summer. Um, so I'm, I've been a, a therapist at the Fountain Hill Center for the last couple months um, and doing a lot of men's work there. So there's kind of an organization within Fountain Hill called the Men's Resource Center. It does a lot of group therapy for men. Um, and that's been the bulk of my work so far. So I, I co-lead a group, a men's group uh, with another veteran therapist. And I do one-on-one therapy too. Very cool. And how is that going? Like your first couple of months, is it, does it feel like it's that you, you made a good decision and you're doing something you really enjoy? It feels really good feels it kind of feels like home which I didn't think I'd ever find a vocational home honestly um and counseling feels like uh like a big field <laughs> um I, like it can look so many different ways and so I I'm just starting out in a way I know nothing and that feels wonderful um it just feels like there is infinite infinite exploring to do um, and I just love it. I get to sit with people. It's what I love to do. It also feels viable and sustainable. Like, oh, this actually is, feels like a career. <laughs> yeah. And so it's been a long, a long winding path to get to this kind of feels like a, another starting point, but also all I can, all the other experiences, it's really encouraging to look back and think, oh, that wasn't wasted. That's, to me, being a therapist is primarily being a person and bringing my personhood to a meeting with somebody. So all those other things, uh, far from wasted, it's like, oh, that's made me who I am. And I get to bring that and it's part of me. So yeah, it felt really satisfying. I love it. That's what I love highlighting on the podcast is people like, because I think that a lot of people get stuck in the fact that they think that they have to do what they went to college for what they mm -hmm. started out and like I love providing examples of people that have kind of worked their way down a path and um maybe found what they really they, you know they're calling a little bit later in life and um that that's okay and you're not like something isn't wrong with you if you're 
23 and don't know what you want to do or even 33. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, yeah, it's an inspiring and encouraging story. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, it feels good. And I, all along the way, I, I had those thoughts of like, what, how can I find something that I love that also feels like I can do for a while? Yeah. <laughs> something that I love that like loves me back. Yeah. And you can make some money at two, ideally enough yeah. to get by. Yep. For sure. That, that can be hard to yeah, make all those connections happen. But yep, yeah. I feel like I'm in a similar spot myself, just being in communications and marketing. You know, that wasn't exactly what I went into, but kind of working my way through a wide variety of writing related careers and spots. And now where I'm at now, I really like what I'm doing. And I feel like communications is also like a really big field that you can go in a lot of different areas with, like I'm in school communications now, but that doesn't mean I couldn't go into, you know, corporate communications or, you know, um, other types of nonprofit communications that aren't, you know, a K through 12 type of thing. Yeah. And imagine if you hadn't stepped out of the early roles you had and just thought like, well, this is what I got to do, but rather listening to yourself um, I think of a book by Parker Palmer called let your life speak. And just the idea of like, Oh, pay attention. What, what's happening inside of you? When are you like unsettled and thinking this is not, this doesn't feel right. There's something else. And just mm -hmm. paying attention to that and thinking like, Oh, what a wonderful thing to know when to quit. And that's a hard balance of like, cause you don't, cause commitment's really important. And also yeah. knowing the right time to leave is really important. <laughs> yeah and leaving on your own like you mentioned like it's it's a lot better to I've left on my own terms and all the job changes that I've done and that feels good too because then you can just go out instead of like maybe kind of giving up and whatever and then getting fired that feels yeah. a lot worse <laughs> yeah leaving leaving well yeah leaving well not just like leaving people behind or just taking off which mm -hmm. I also don't want to give the impression that when I quit I was just like see ya uh <laughs> most of these things were, it was a year before I thought, oh, I think I can feel this starting to come to a close and letting people know and, say, and six months before saying, I think, I think next summer I'm going to be done. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good notice, a six yes. month notice, or at least heads yeah. up. <laughs> not, not possible every time, but yeah, right. that feels really important to not give the impression of just like, yeah, just quit, just leave, step out. Uh, <laughs> But knowing when to do that, paying attention to yourself and giving space, planning ahead, <laughs> that's the asterisk behind that. That's not just like, hey, you don't like it, quit. Um, there's a balance and attention there. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for taking time. Anything else you'd like to add about kind of your journey or um, career that I didn't ask you about that you think would be, be relevant to people or just advice, like kind of closing advice? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm not big into advice giving. Um, and I don't think other people's path should look like mine. Um, so I feel really grateful for the path that I've been on. And so I guess my advice would be like, pay attention to yourself. What, what's happening? What are you drawn to? Listen to that <laughs> and just make your own path. Don't try to duplicate someone else's path. Uh, make your own. 
Thank you for listening to The Gonzier Show. Follow the show and please share it. Stay tuned for more episodes.